0: Hi, everyone. This is Seeking Sustainability Live talk show podcast. Thanks for joining. My name is JJ Walsh. I'm based in Hiroshima, Japan. And this talk show is all about seeking sustainability, looking for innovation and inspiration from stories with experts across Japan and around the world who can inspire us with ways of thinking and ways of doing that make our quality of life and quality of environment and economic benefit even better. Today in the podcast, I have the chance to talk to Joan Michelson. Joan Michelson is host and producer of Green Connections Radio and Media. She is a writer. She's a coach. You can see her column in Forbes magazine. Even though Joan doesn't really focus on Japan, by listening to her podcast episodes, I found so many parallels to situations that we're having in Japan in terms of environmental sustainability and diversity and inclusion and equality. So I'm really excited to talk to Joan here. I hope there's a lot of parallels you can draw and inspiration from our conversation to your own life and things to think about for a better future. podcaster which inspires us all of green connections radio
1: thank you so much joan for joining oh it's my pleasure jj i was thrilled to get your note Uh, it's, it's my honor it's so wonderful to
0: connect even though you are focused on the american story the american innovation all of the initiatives in america that has so much influence on what happens in japan What we are going through in Japan and I think probably around the world, very similar uh, topics of concern in terms of diversity and gender equality and uh, innovation and clean technology. So it's wonderful to hear your podcast and then to be able to talk to you in person. It's really wonderful. Thank you so much.
1: You're very sweet. And, you know, I, I do cover a lot internationally. I just don't do it as I mean, not as much as you do. It's clearly our policy discussions are, are um, U.S. centric, obviously. But, you know, I've done a bunch on the U.N. Uh, the Paris talks and I've done a bunch on um, sustainable energy for all and uh, some other initiatives around the world. So it's really a a pleasure to to talk to you. And Japan has been really has been right there. I mean, I did a a little bit of fact finding before our conversation. And and, um, I actually, by the way, speaking of um, Japanese initiatives, I interviewed the head of hydrogen fuel cell vehicles on my show as well for Toyota. Jackie. She's too, who yeah, was Jackie just, Birdsall. Oh, just I saw on on my show this up. this week. No,
0: she was oh, on she's... a couple days ago. That was because of your show. I was so
1: inspired oh, to reach great. out to her. Yeah, Did you tell wonderful. her that it came from my from I did. Sierra? Oh, thank you so much. That's very sweet. I did. So even though she's
0: she's in the States, the focus is North American market, as you know very well, that's the biggest car market in the world. But she's working for Toyota, the world leader for automobiles and probably world leader for clean automotive. Um, Before we dive into those topics, though, I want to talk about your family legacy for the trifecta that you have in your wheelhouse of journalism, feminism, and innovation. I was fascinated to find out that your ancestor is Albert Michelson, the physics Nobel prize winner, Charles Michelson, the newspaper uh, communications director for FDR, and Miriam Michelson, a leader in feminism. She interviewed Susan B. Anthony.
1: Amazing. Yeah, you you know, when when I found out about Miriam, I felt like I belonged in the family. Um, But Albert was, and I think you'll appreciate this, my favorite quote from, from Albert Michelson is, my greatest inspiration is a challenge to attempt the impossible. I love that. And I think that's what we're all doing in the in creating a whole new economy that is focused on protecting the planet.
0: Yeah, for sure. But those those are your three skill
1: sets that they were all siblings. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And they uh, there were seven siblings total. And that was three of them. Albert was the oldest and Miriam was the youngest and Charles was in the middle. What an amazing
0: legacy of, of innovators and thinkers, thought leaders that you come from. And you uh, said in an interview as well, you feel like you were born
1: into the kind of career that you chose, is that right? Yeah, it's a funny thing because my, I'm a native New York City girl. I live in the Washington DC area now, but I was born in, in New York City and my dad, had an ad agency when I was a kid in New York, and I'm the youngest. And so he would literally pull um, copy out of the typewriter and hand it to the closest warm body he could find, and say, "Read this out loud to me." So I would guess that I probably the first thing I read out loud was probably my father's radio copy and or advertising copy, and that and my mother read it when I was pregnant, when she was pregnant with me. So I make jokes that I've been reading and writing copy since pre-birth. <laughs> I love that.
0: Um, you, you claim uh, During your career, you've had some big shifts and one of the biggest shifts that you had was going to work for the car industry. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that story? That's amazing
1: yeah and it's a it's actually a really good example of what the new economy needs and and why it needs women in particular um i had spent the previous many years of my career in management consulting working for deloitte american express et cetera and being a road warrior and all of that and about 15 years ago I was recruited by Chrysler to head up their communications and co-head their sales and marketing. I did not own a car. I'd never worked in the car business. I didn't live where they lived. I was here in D.C. They were in the Midwest. And um, it came through a fluke of circumstances. And the truth is, if they had posted a job and I had applied, they'd never know my name. Because the way that the applicant tracking systems and the recruiting in this country, and I imagine it's similar in Japan, is it's all automated, and they look for keywords. Well, because I didn't have the word automotive in my resume or any material, if I had applied, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. You know, they wouldn't even know me. But actually, the president of the company who personally recruited me said to me. That's exactly why you were so successful. We did hockey stick growth because I did some pretty crazy creative stuff that he allowed me to do and supported me in doing. And sometimes he didn't quite understand it. I'd come up with an idea and he'd go, what the heck? Okay, how does, okay, okay. So if it's not costing me any money, go, you know. But it's an example of the innovative thinking that we need. And it's also an example of, being willing to take a risk into something that just seems really out of whack right and and out of your comfort zone and out of your. I mean, obviously I had experience in communications, but I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't you know, I'm not an engineer. I'd spent my career in management consulting and journalism. So but I'm I'm a I'm have an insatiable curiosity. I love learning new things. Um, and they had faith in me so I had faith in me and I was willing to take the risk to move to a part of the country I didn't know um I actually some people will be shocked to know I actually was moved to Fargo North Dakota from here in DC which is so famous
0: famous for the movie
1: the movie
0: that you you get the idea there's nothing really there
1: right Well, there's actually a lot more there than most people expect. But one quick funny um, anecdote is I moved there in January. So I actually never saw what the city looked like for four months because it was covered in snow.
0: Oh, my gosh. And you were were working on a very innovative part of the company at that time about their electric vehicles, the EV. And I love this part that you're talking about. Um, once you started doing marketing and communication, you realized how underrepresented women were. So you started to feature women in the marketing. I pulled up this old Chrysler EV ad featuring a woman. I wonder if you had a hand in this.
1: I don't know. We did, uh, I was part of Global Electric Motor Cars. And, you know, it's funny. I, I featured women in the cars But I also more importantly, targeted women buyers and I featured women uh, in our in our dealer network and in our uh, corporate team. And there weren't that many there aren't there still aren't that many female dealers in any uh, franchise. But um, I've always been advocating for women, even when I was in management consulting. Um, I think women historically don't get the microphone, they don't get the visibility. Um, and I mean the microphone literally and figuratively. And women don't get their get the opportunities that men do. And so I wanted to do what I could, and I still do this, as you know, to elevate these women and, and give them an opportunity to show what they can do.
0: And from an economic standpoint as well, you argue that women, especially for cars or big purchases, they're the ones who are making the decisions. They have purchasing power.
1: Yes, women make 85 percent of purchasing decisions, at least in the United States. And I actually think in Japan it might it might be just the same, too, because I know that um, I've understood, I should say, that women make uh the lion, by far the lion's share of economic decisions for the family too they the salary
0: even if the woman's not working the salary comes to the family account which is usually managed by the woman yeah the house the housewife even has a lot of decision making power for the family wealth or the family savings yeah it's amazing so um, during that time, were you, did you transition from the car industry back into journalism? What happened next? What was your next step?
1: Well, Chrysler blew up and was taken over by the government. And my division was sold. And essentially, they, they really hardly kept any. First of all, they moved it to another location or they moved the, the assets Most of the people scattered all over the place. Um, They were staying in the Midwest. I interviewed with them. I really did not want to stay in the Midwest again, to be honest. So I came back to D.C. and I was doing journalism and public speaking and some consulting. And somebody came up to me at a conference um, and said, we'd like you to do a, a radio show on our network. And I had been thinking of a show in my head anyway, and thus Green Connections Radio was born. But I decided that I was going to feature mostly women for all the reasons we were just talking about. And I actually, I feature only women now. In the beginning, I interviewed a handful of men, and then I got pushback from my audience. Um, But as I'm fond of saying, if I get Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg, I'm interviewing them, so get over it. Um, but I that's how Green Connections Radio was born, and I've been doing um, coaching and consulting and journalism and public speaking ever since. I mean, obviously, in the last 18 months, the public speaking has been virtual, if at all.
0: Yeah, I, I love this picture, I think it's from. 2005? It's quite a while ago. You're interviewing someone in the military? Yeah, it's actually about 2005.
1: That was only about four years ago. That Ah, was, um, yeah, that was, that was literally uh, four and a half years ago. That was at the Pentagon. I'm interviewing um, Catherine Hammack, who was the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Energy Installations and Environment she instituted the net zero program for the United States Army, um, which is really a fascinating study actually, and this is just kind of a quick little thing. She, one of the benefits of, um, well, I don't know if you know this, but but uh, military installations in other countries, at least American ones, tend to be somewhat isolated from the community they're in. And the what she did though was part of the net zero program is obviously maximizing assets. And so she found that integrating more and partnering more with the community saved an enormous amount of energy and water and reduced waste. So she actually created stronger relationships with the communities where the army bases were, which had all kinds of positive effects for the economic development of the community, writ large, and of course the the people on both sides in both the community and the base.
0: That is so interesting. And I think the military has such a big role in terms of moving forward in sustainability and female empowerment. Um, it's such a, it's a microchasm of America in so many ways and American business in so many ways. I love how you're using a reusable water bottle as well. You got to walk the walk when you're talking the talk, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So on your show, you have such a diverse um, feature of speakers. So you have policymakers like Catherine Hammock here, you have Uh, developers, you have artisans, you have people in clean tech. How do you find everyone? Is it just friends of friends? Um, Do you search online? What's your strategy to find great speakers?
1: Well, it varies. Essentially, JJ, I read about somebody or see somebody speak who I think is interesting and I track them down um i see you have a picture of secretary james who's a media past secretary of the air Force, united states air force and i read an article about her book uh, she wrote a book on success and careers for and has done a lot for women in the air force and obviously the air force has done a great deal in climate issues and so i just tracked her down and invited her to be on the show some of the other people, um, uh, Coco Brown, I see you have uh, in that picture, She, I heard her speak at another conference uh, webinar I was on with a group I'm in. Um, Barbara Y from Apple, uh, she was head of diversity for Intel and I met her at a conference and I invited her to be on the show. Um, the other JJ, uh, JJ Lee, um, makes recyclable masks. Someone came to me with her idea because I've done a lot on sustainable sustainable fashion, which is a huge problem. The whole fashion industry worldwide is extremely um, unsustainable. Uh, they're getting a lot better. There's been a lot a big push around it, but it's it's a it's an issue. Um, so sometimes they come to me sometimes uh, through you know a PR person, ninety percent of the time the PR leads I get are irrelevant. Um, but I you know, I speak at a lot of events, I get I just I read about people, I have a lot of inputs. Um, I hear about somebody who I think is really cool and I invite them to be on the show.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I loved to find to come across your podcast. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. It's all about sustainability. And then I was like, it's all about women as well. Like I was just like, dumbfounded. I can't believe I found this. And I can't believe all these amazing talk show guests that you get. And it's just it's a dream to have you know, like you talk about, there's under, under representation from women in so many of these fields, but to be able to find such a diverse group of women who are in these fields as minorities, but they're really, really making positive changes and in such diverse and interesting ways. And all their stories are so unique, but yet
1: there are similar threads amongst them all, right? Absolutely. You know, I believe, JJ, and you're an example of this, too, that women are natural innovators because we historically have not had control of the budget and the authority in, in uh, you know, executive roles. And so we've had to find another way to solve a problem. And a lot of it is influence management. A lot of it is what I call bubble gum and rubber bands, you know, putting things together haphazardly. And so we've learned, we've developed the find another way muscle. And the find another way muscle is what drives innovation. And we, we bring things together from various places. I mean, when I was working with Chrysler, I was bringing in and triggered by ideas I used at Deloitte and American Express, even though they weren't in the car business. So or, you know, from other things. And so you you apply. We think on different levels, and so you apply things from something else in a really unique way, and women uniquely do that because we've had to.
0: I also love how uh, probably due to your journalism background, you really do your research on all of the speakers. You have very interesting questions to add as well as from your own experience to relate to what they're talking about, to have a wider view perspective. I love it. It's uh, so well done. I would encourage anybody to go seek out uh, Green Connections Radio online you've got a great website with everything there but basically any podcast player you have your podcast right
1: yes it's a, it's ubiquitous and it's funny because i have you know google alerts that come up with my name and sometimes i see it on play on platforms i didn't even know existed <laughs> yeah there's some sure lot you, now yeah yeah i'm sure you see spending. that now too <laughs> yeah. uh, do you want to yeah mention um, i that, just want to i yeah. just want to uh, ping that for a minute because I think no matter what we do, um, research is really helpful. If you're going on a job interview, if you are applying for a job, if you have um, any kind of a call with somebody, whether it's broadcast or recorded or not, it's really valuable to, to get as much information and be as prepared as possible. And it's it's not, it's, yeah, you'll impress them, but you know what the real secret is, JJ, and you know this, I'm sure, is you have more confidence in the conversation. You know that anything that comes up, you're less likely to be caught off guard, and you, you bring the person you're talking to respects the fact that you learned a little bit about their world uh, before you talk to them. It's a compliment. It's a sign of respect for them as well. And it makes for a richer conversation. But it also works from the inside out because you feel much more confident in, in managing yourself in the conversation.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure you've had this and I've been so happy and proud to have people say after the interview, while wow, you did your research, I had forgotten that I said that or I had forgotten that I did that. And you really dug that up. You know, that was interesting. And, and you know, when people say that back to you and you have so much more pride in your work and the the value of the content that you're spending so much time on as well. Right.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And I also like to give my audience context. So in the in the introduction, as well as throughout, but particularly in the introduction, I tee it up with factoids that are relevant to the conversation. Um, And and I think that makes a big difference. I mean, I just did um, interview some folks that haven't aired yet. um, And the facts about plastic are appalling. Um, I've been doing a lot on ESG investing, environment, social and governance investing. And the research on that is extremely promising because ESG investing is is really scoring high, is performing better than anything else. And in fact, is doing better than uh, it did better in during covid than, quote, regular investing. So, um, yes, it's I like I think it's important for the audience. And I I mean, you're right. I have an insatiable curiosity. I'm I'm not sure if my insatiable curiosity drove me to be a journalist or I'm a a journalist because I have an insatiable curiosity. Yeah,
0: I I feel that way. And when I was doing research as a university uh, lecturer as well, uh, the more I learn, the more I realize I know nothing and the less I know and I want to know more and I want to be more informed, you know, and I just like a personal drive. I'm not sure where mine comes from. I know where yours comes from because you've got this legacy. (laughs) I'm showing on... On screen, uh, your Forbes column, you've Mm -hmm. got really wonderful articles on Forbes, and they're not short. It's like a mini book every time you do a post and very well researched. Um, So like you mentioned, talking about the plastic pandemic, also talking about ESGs. Are your most recent articles really insightful?
1: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, that's very kind of you. I do a lot on career advice, also, especially for women, but it really applies to anybody who, frankly, feels a little underrepresented. And um, I'm I'm writing a book on women's careers, but I'm also thinking of doing an ebook of some of my career-focused um, articles for, particularly for Forbes, but I've written for other places too.
0: It's really funny that you mentioned careers, because that is my next topic to talk about with you. Now, I dug up this 10 lessons for your career journey, and I believe this was 2015. So I wanted to check on your 10 career tips with you and see if there's anything that you would have changed. I thought this was really interesting. Um, Let's see if I can bring it up a little bit bigger. So yeah, follow, so. follow your intuition, be open to crazy ideas and choices, reframe a perceived setback, be kind to everyone, listen to people's values and agendas, stretch out your comfort zone, increase your self-awareness, make time for self-care, trust yourself, and keep asking questions. I love it.
1: Anything you would change or update? Um, I think they're pretty much the same, but I will tell you that um, I've done a lot on career lessons. I pull out career lessons from um, a variety of different places. I think you probably got that from a a piece I did on another website, but I also, I'm a big fan. I've been doing a lot um, lately too on, um, Goal setting and taking a unique approach to goal setting and finding a way, doing it in a way that acknowledges what you accomplished already and using what I call the breadcrumbs from what you've accomplished already to help you um, find direction for your goals going forward. Yeah, that's the, the image that I've used. And um, and I think that's really that's a really important thing to do. You know that when you when you categorize what you accomplished in the twelve months prior, it increases your confidence and it shows you because we forget how much we've actually done. Right, we tend to take things for granted and just think about tomorrow, whatever. But when you recap, I actually have my coaching clients do a spreadsheet and have the um, the category and the accomplishments, etc. in that. And then you can see and what generated money for you and what didn't, but generated other value and brand value. And that way you can also see where your strengths are for who you are now, today. Not just because, you know, so often we look at our resumes and we just think about what we've done before but you know my the story you, you asked me about going to Chrysler is a great example of this you have to look forward who are you now and what I loved about going to Chrysler was they tapped into who I was at that moment and they changed my life I mean I've been in the green economy ever since but but when you look at what you've done just in the past 12 months especially these 12 months because they've been pretty upsetting for everybody right pretty weird if you really say, oh, I didn't just sit around and binge watch TV every day, did I? <laughs> you know, I really did get a lot of things done. And and I've even put in things like people that I like like you, you know, people that I met that I didn't expect to meet, or groups I was in that I mean that one of the good things of COVID was everything was online, and so I could attend events that I previously couldn't attend. And so there's all those people that we meet. And so I think that's really, really important. It reflects who you are now, and then it provides guideposts for your next steps and helps you tune into what is it that I liked most in the last year that I did? And what do I want to do more of? What might I want to do less of? And then you can work on if it's something that you're learning new, execution is important, right? Being good at what you do is important, obviously. And research, as you mentioned, plays into that. And so how can I get better at certain things? Like I'm I'm periodically asking my editors at Forbes to give me feedback on stories. um, And I do some webinars with them on uh, improving our stories because I always want to learn. You know, there's just you you always want to get be as good as you possibly can be and the world is evolving. So there's always more to learn. And of course, in the clean, green, sustainable economy, there's it, it it moves, you know, really fast. (laughs) So there's always a lot more to learn. So I think your lessons are really good. Um, The ones that you found that was good research. Um, I had a guest on once who said something really interesting. Um, there's just a couple others that I would add. Um, one is depending upon your career, this a stage, this would apply. Some people may know this, but it's, it's learn how money moves, which is kind of an interesting framing. If you figure out who makes money, how it's not just about being greedy. We all have to take care of ourselves and women are not taught strategically how money moves and how you can leverage a contract to get a line of credit at a bank, for example, or why your credit score matters and when it doesn't matter, right? And and certain things that weighing the pros and cons of different functions, different aspects of, of money management. The other thing I wanna say is um, I'm a big fan of, of having a lot, having multiple mentors. And when I say mentors, I don't just mean somebody who you have a call with every month. I mean, I have mentors I don't talk to every month. But, and I never have, but when you have, I mean multiple people who you just say, can I talk to you for 10 minutes about this? I'm wrestling with a decision and I just really like your input. And then you ask multiple people about the same thing. And what happens is, you you get multiple um, strategies for responses. I mean, sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're different. But it forces you to not just go with what your mentor says, but it forces you to say, Okay, so now what do I think? What resonates with me? What feels like the best solution to me? And if you're only ha- meeting one mentor, uh, you know, on a regular basis, I mean, you can tend to say, oh, well, you know, Sally, my mentor told me to do this. So I need to do this, even if it doesn't feel right for you. Remember that everybody is coming from their own experience. And I even say this to my coaching clients, it's like I'm, I have my experience. So my, your experience might not be the same as mine. And when you have multiple mentors, you're, you're not getting trapped in somebody. You're not only seeing through somebody else's lens. Do you, does that make sense? Absolutely. It's like uh, having
0: one favorite professor, right? You, at university, you want to learn from a variety of people. Uh, you want to take in a variety of different topics and messages and decide for yourself, based on your experience, what, what's the right way forward. I loved your piece in Forbes on belonging. And the speeches Mm. of Oprah and Stacey Abrams um, to upcoming young people into their careers and talking about uh, the sense of belonging as well. And they are such amazing, inspiring mentors to so many people. That was great. Yeah.
1: And one of the things that I loved about what Stacey Abrams said, to, to paraphrase, of course, is and I feel this is is we said before i've lived in eight or nine states in the united states um belonging is in here belonging is inside of you it's not dependent upon other people yes it's influenced by people who don't treat you well but i had a a coach once who said and, and a prominent person who said and i love this Wherever you are, you belong just because you're there. And I've been able to live in different places, and like you're moving from the United States to Japan, same thing, because we carry that sense of belonging inside of us, and we have the confidence to know that we'll find a way to... Fit in make money fill in the blank you know make ourselves happy whatever i mean i moved to fargo without knowing anybody except the president of the company who recruited me and i only knew him for two hours okay and i was moving in the middle of the winter 30 below zero three feet of snow 40 mile an hour winds not exactly the social circle of the day opportunity but you just wing it You know, you just have to have a sense of, well, I'm here because they invited me to be here. So I belong because I'm here.
0: So that that risk taking, uh, do you find that particularly hard for women who are managing the schedules of children, managing a household, taking risks maybe is more risky, do you find when you interview all these women?
1: Well, it is and it isn't, because the flip side of that is they want to teach their children to be adaptable, and they want to teach their show model to their children that making intelligent decisions and bringing the child into the decision, if they're old enough, um, makes it how can I say this, breeds a stronger, more confident child into an adult. They don't, you know, kids grow up, right? We were kids. There are things that we learned as a result of our upbringing and that anybody who moved, I mean, all the people that I know who lived with military families, for example, or were moved a lot with foreign service or something, have all said to me, I like to take my kids traveling because I want them to experience, even if we don't necessarily move from place to place as often as I did as a kid, I want them to experience all these other cultures. It makes them better people. It makes them more adaptable. It makes them understand other people's values. I mean, people speak, they might speak English in Fargo, but they speak, have a different have a different way of dealing with language and come from a different value system than I did in New York or even DC or California or other places I've lived. And I think that that I don't look at it I look at it as yeah, it's a calculated risk but I think that um, one of the big folk one of the big uh, biases in companies, Is they immediately assume that a woman doesn't want to move because she has, if she has small children, without even asking her. I'll tell you a quick story. I interviewed Patsy Dore, who was global head of sustainability for um, and corporate responsibility for Thomson Reuters, and she had been, I think, at Credit Credit Suisse or another bank, and she had little kids, and she was talking to her boss and. In passing, I guess, she's walking out the door. She stops and she turns around to him and she says, please don't eliminate me from contention for an overseas job because I have small children. Okay, bye, have a nice day. Two weeks later, he offered her a a job in Hong Kong. This this happens in Japan all the time too, right? Because people, a lot of companies assume without asking that the woman doesn't want to do X because she has small children. And it's like, give me the option to figure it out. You don't that that's not in the way of a man. I mean, you don't you don't assume that that's in the way of a man. He's got the same responsibilities as his wife or the mother.
0: But you also need to have the understanding from management to support the woman's children as well if she wants to move because she's probably going to want to take them. I had, I had one experience when I was working at university where I created a study abroad program and I was a part of it. So I was going to go with the students and it was a long program. It was going to be six months. So I assumed, of course, I'd be taking my children. They assumed, of course, you're not taking your children because you are managing this
1: program. And that was a huge problem. <laughs> wow. I'm so sorry you ran into that. I've never run into a situation where they assumed the person was not bringing their children. Ever. Happens um, in
0: Japan, I think.
1: Uh, wow. That's really surprising. A little bit backward. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, the... Um, more often than not what happens is what I describe, which is they don't even consider the woman for the job because they assume that she can't. The other one is you know help the kids find help the, the family find schooling or childcare, or whatever it is in the new place. I mean there are, the US government, for example, has uh, helps the spouse find a job and I know some companies that do that as well. That's the way to do it. Um, exactly. let's, let's talk about, um,
0: your advice. I just listened to your goal setting podcast where you give us a little bit of a, a hint into the kind of coaching seminars that you do. It was so interesting. And you were talking about this, looking back on the past year talking about ways you made money, ways you didn't make money, but had value for you. And I I found this such an effective exercise. So I would definitely recommend people go and listen to that. That's available on your podcast now. Um, I found that thing about making money. And of course, money is important. You got to find your streams of revenue. I, I think that's really hard when you're working in sustainability in America, probably, but definitely in Japan. People expect you to be doing things for free a lot of the time because you're doing social good. They don't expect you to be wanting to
1: get income for what you're doing. Do you ever find that in your work? Um, I find it's more common for women in the sustainable field. Um, It's become more... it's become less common, I guess I want to say now, because people are realizing how you can make a bunch of money in the clean, green economy. Um, but I find it's, it's, it, it's gotten a little bit better, but I find that women don't tend to ask for what they deserve. I mean, I have actually have a client running through this right now. I'm coaching with it through the challenge. I mean, they, women tend to not, ask for the value of what they're providing. They only ask for, well, it's taking me five hours and, you know, at X dollars an hour. They don't think about, well, what's the value that it's it's giving to the recipient, especially for companies. Um, And so I think you need to think about what the recipient is getting out of it Not just how much time you have to put into it. The other one is women don't tend to add on a percentage for stuff happens, because even if you just say, well, it's going to take me 10 hours, guess what? It's probably going to take you 15 or 20. So I always tell people, whatever your number is right now, add 20% which is also what consultants should do anyway because 20% is approximately the same amount that would otherwise cover benefits that a company would provide.
0: Plus taking into consideration your expertise and your experience should add value to the price. You're not you shouldn't be priced the same as someone who's only had 5 years whereas you've had 25 years, right?
1: Well, that's exactly right and the other one is and that's a really good point because that also reflects the skills that you've developed from another industry that are rel- that 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 you are going to use in this job. I find so, that so when I was at Chrysler, yeah, yeah, you said that. when I was at Chrysler, I'd never worked in the car business, but I had all kinds of corporate contacts and and other contacts, and obviously communication and media experience that I was just transferring into the electric car industry so that's where the value is i mean part of what i was very successful at at chrysler and and frankly i do some of it now too is building partnerships i bring together i brought together some what they thought were odd partners and ended up being extremely successful in helping the company achieve um hockey stick growth
0: I, I love that uh, about your story, getting hired by Chrysler, because when you were talking to the head of the company, uh, he had so many new ideas because you were bringing new perspectives to the conversation. And he realized the need for that in his in his company and he introduced you as, uh, we have too many people who are playing too nice. We needed to bring in a New Yorker to stir things up. <laughs> I love that.
1: Yeah, he was, uh, the, the culture in North Dakota that drives everything, the value is nice. And it's actually a phrase, it's called North Dakota nice. So when he introduced me to the whole staff in this cavernous assembly plant, he said North Dakota nice wasn't working. So we brought out a New Yorker, which was actually really brilliant on many levels. It said, she's different. She's going to make changes. It's going to be uncomfortable. She's got my support. Deal with it in a cute little pithy, funny phrase that made everybody laugh and then go, oh, (laughs) so made it. And he was very supportive of a lot of my crazy ideas.
0: Well, that's that's so important to have that support. Um, I was watching a program the other day and they they were trying to choose who had the best leadership qualities. And one of the people in the group had great ideas, but nobody in the group adopted his idea. And so they said, well, he's not gonna win this. You know, there's no way he can be a leader if he doesn't convince people to try what he's saying. So that part of your skill to communicate and inspire people to take a risk and try new things, that's, it's not easy, but that's part of success, right? Well,
1: it is. And it's also, I think part of that is um, kind of what I said a minute ago, which is when you prepare and you you prepare in terms of research, but also in terms of, frankly, to take it another place, taking care of yourself, when you feel confident then you present your ideas better. That doesn't mean, confident doesn't mean, confident includes being open. That doesn't mean you know everything. It just means you feel confident in the ideas that you're presenting and in your ability to deal with whatever comes up. And when you come from that place, people will listen. I mean, I actually had somebody interview me once who said, what makes you a leader? And I said, I don't know, ask the people who follow me.
0: That is that is the best, best way to find out. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So so let's talk a little bit about one of your recent articles about the Texas water energy crisis, because I think this is very relatable to the Japan situation about groupthink and what happens when you don't have diversity. And inclusion in the people who are making policy decisions, right?
1: Yeah, I wrote a story called um, Yeah, you have it up there, but um, uh, I can't read the fine print. But I think it was called Why the Texas uh, Why Texas Needs More Women at the uh, Energy uh, at ERCOT. Um, the, or why the energy, the Texas water, energy crisis would have happened if they had more women in, in leadership. Um, they were, it's, it's kind of what we were talking about a minute ago. There you go. Um, how women could have prevented the Texas water and power, power and water crisis. The, the issue is exactly what you said. It's groupthink and that they had, they really had nobody Bring up the fact that the assumptions that they were making about how the system would survive might not be true. And they all, what was worse was the same leaping thing had happened ten years prior. And they were given plans on how and directives on how to prepare for a cold spell like this happening again. And all of these, frankly, white guys turned around and said, oh, that'll never happen. This is a fluke. You know, it'll cost us money. Forget it. And look what happened. So and frankly, it's the financial crisis in the United States in 2008. It was the same thing. I mean, the, the International Monetary Fund blamed it on groupthink. Um, and there are other many other situations where where executives and leaders have said, oh, well, that'll never happen. That's ridiculous. Well, guess what? It did. I mean, 9-11, frankly, was an example. Um, there were many in the military who were doing practices on what would happen, a preparedness, what would happen if a plane flew into uh, the World Trade Center because it was such an icon. And the defense secretary at the time said, oh, that'll never happen and killed the program guess what, you know, the rest is history, right? So it really, it is a testament exactly to what you just said, to, to the fact that you need, you need, and you need not just females, but you need people who think differently. I mean, if you have a board, that's all people who went to Harvard or Yale at the same time and took the same courses, whatever body they're in, they're going to have the same observations and the same experience. So you need people with different experiences at the table too. You need them to come from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, different parts of the economy, um, bring a diversity of experiences and honor their contribution at the time. You're not going to benefit from their ideas if you don't allow them to share their ideas and respect their ideas and take them seriously.
0: That is absolutely true. And I I love from this article, uh, you talk about lack of diversity, groupthink, women bringing problem solving to the table, an increase in innovation comes with diversity and better connection to community needs to better prepare for crisis and emergencies. I
1: just thought that was so powerful and so true. Well, that was the thing. They didn't think about the impact that would happen on the actual homes. They only thought about the fa- the, the grid itself. They didn't think about the fact that the grid is powering the whole community, or nor did they think about down the next level of decision making which is the fact that the energy supply affects the water supply there and they also didn't consider the fact that they're in they've chosen to be independent of the national grid in the United States which meant they had no backup there was one city who was still had still stayed on the national grid they were up in short time the rest of the state was a mess for 10 days Yeah. So
0: we have 10 more minutes. Uh, Let's switch gears a little bit, make it more positive, go back to your coaching a little bit. Uh, You've got some great advice for leadership lessons and how people should be making goals and thinking about leadership in this year. So 2020, 2021, we're kind of coming out of coronavirus right now. Um, What is some of the advice you would give people?
1: Can we touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I think a key point that I want to make is um, to think about, you know, you do your chart of accomplishments, but also think about what is the one thing I call, uh, a break th- breakthrough goal? What is the one thing that would really catapult your career or business? Up a whole bunch of levels. You know, so and it and it may be it may seem crazy and oh, I'm not going to bother thinking about that. Don't worry about how you're going to get there. Just think about what it would be. So it might be writing a book. It might be being hired to speak, you know, for me at a conference in Japan or somewhere else. Right. Being it might be um, getting funding for for a new business idea that you have that isn't even you haven't done anything with yet. Um, it might be writing a novel, getting your novel that you wrote as a kid made into a movie. I mean, it can be completely, quote, crazy. But think about a breakthrough goal that really would serve you in the next couple of years. It doesn't have to be tomorrow, but would serve you in the next couple of years anyway, or three. And then Think about what are a couple of things that you can do now to get there. So it might be being becoming CEO of the company you work for. Okay, so what does your CEO need to know how to do? And what do you not know yet? You can take classes in that. Who do you need to know in order to get the experience and the other jobs you might need in the company to build up there? One of the things I like to do with my coaching clients is say, "Okay, so if you want this job, who has had that job and what's their bio? How did their career prepare them for that job? And who did they know that supported them in getting that job? And then you say, okay, so what can I do to kind of mirror that in my own way? And what skills do I have? Maybe even that they don't have or didn't have at my stage? And how can I build on those? And how can I showcase those? Sometimes it's as simple as doing what you're doing, doing a podcast, you know, it can be writing. I mean, today, with all the free media outlets, you can write in Medium, you can write in LinkedIn for free. You don't have to be hired as a reporter to write your thoughts. But keep in mind that it's public, that everybody's gonna read it. Proofread, do your research, you know, write it as if you're writing it for the, the New York Times or the Japan Times or whatever your, your high standard is, right? Um, and so figure out what that goal is and then a couple of steps that you can do in the short term to start to get there. That does a lot of things. It can catapult your career, obviously, or your business. But it also... Uh, it it helps you think out of the box. It helps you think of the possible, you know, as I, my, as I said before, my great great uncle had this great quote. My greatest inspiration is a challenge to attempt the impossible. And that's what that breakthrough goal is. It helps you figure out how you're going to attempt to achieve the impossible. And you don't have to have all the steps, but setting your mind on it and focusing on it periodically helps you get there or at least get close. You know, if you only want to get down the block, that's easy. It does take some risk. It does take building up your confidence muscles to believe that you can do that job when you get there. Right. That you'll know what to do and what questions to ask and what information, et cetera. I mean, CEOs don't know how to do every job in their company. Mary Barra worked in several different aspects of General Motors. She's been there for 35 years, but she doesn't she can't do every job. She doesn't build a car. That doesn't mean that you have to know every job. It means you have to know the questions that you need to ask and you need to know who to ask them of to get the answers you need to make the right decision. So I think having a breakthrough goal is a really important thing that most people don't think about doing. They just like take out their old goals and then they make them whatever. But especially this year with so much that's changed, I mean, the world is just like throwing a deck of cards into the air and everything fell on the floor. I mean, you know, it's it's Humpty Dumpty fell apart. And But now you can put Humpty Dumpty The Humpty Dumpty of your life back together a little bit differently. A lot of people whose careers were thrown a curveball through COVID, whether it's losing their job or um, being furloughed or even just working from home, have decided to or really reevaluating how they want to spend their time, how they want to feel when they're working, what kind of people they want to be around? Do they want to be in an office? Are they tired of working at home? I've talked to several people who are like, I can't wait to get back to the office. Um, And so this is an opportunity to really think out of the out of your own box. And I think the breakthrough goal really pushes you there.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome advice. And I, I heard um, also in one of your podcast sessions, I think the one on, on leadership and breakthrough goals, um, talking to people from across the world. And they were saying one of the great things about coronavirus was to make that possible, that you would be on Zoom calls with people around the world instead of in one place. And that's certainly one of the benefits and and the only reason I started this talk show series as well is to go online. And then you realize how wide your network can be. Whereas before you were just in one area, right?
1: Exactly. And the other thing I want to say is don't just think about your goals as a career thing. You have goals for, for your health and fitness. You have goals for personal relationships. You have goals for professional relationships. You have goals around money and finance um, and, um, and so you have goals for every aspect of your life. And that makes that you have to remember you're a whole person. It's not just your career. It's, it's what makes you happy and, and contribution and it can be in recreation. It's like, you know, I, I take walks out in nature. I take walks a few times a day, but I also, uh, go to museums and take walks in, in my hiking trails and stuff, because I need that n- nurturing from nature. Me too.
0: Especially during coronavirus and feeling isolated, I think connecting to nature is really healing, as well as talking to people around the world. But you need that exercise, but you also need to connect in some way to plants and being outside. It's so important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mother Nature is amazing. It, it, she really is. It's, um, I, I interviewed a woman who's in Scotland who does coaching around helping people think. Using nature as a decision making model, how nature things happen in nature as a way to make to look at your decision making, which is pretty cool. Pretty interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. We
0: we had a, a woman on the series who draws trees and she takes people out to forests for workshops and they draw trees and just be around trees. And other people who are arborists talking about the power, magical power of trees. I'm I'm a big believer organic farming everything
1: your shirt is like a tree also
0: (laughs) I I wore this in your honor today because it's green connections
1: yeah (laughs) yes you're very sweet that's really lovely that's great it's really I love it it's 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 bright and shiny it reminded me
0: of your logo so I said I have to wear that today oh you're very sweet Thank you you so much, Joan. That was a wonderful talk. So many great insights and takeaways there. I think relevant, very relevant for anyone in Japan, in the U.S., anywhere around the world. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your advice.
1: Well, thank you, JJ, for the invitation. And thank you for what you do, too. I mean, it's, you know, you're... You're bringing a message that the, the multicultural message that really needs to resonate with people, and um, and it's important to to remember that we are you know we're all connected. No one country can solve the climate crisis. I mean that's you know we we only have one Earth, and we're all in effect breathing the same air in one way or another, right? And uh, so I I totally honor what you're doing, and I'm fascinated. and Now I want to come visit you in Japan. oh yes
0: please please let's set up a, a big seminar or event so we can get you over and and get some some enthusiasm and momentum building in japan i'd love that oh that would be wonderful i'd be delighted that'd be great uh well thank you everybody for joining today thank you so much joan um that is the last talk for this week next week we're starting on tuesday with some more great talks. So I'll put up the schedule soon. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you, Joan.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon, JJ.
0: Thanks for joining today. What was your favorite part? Why don't you write a question or comment below and I'll reply or I'll get the guests to reply as well. Please think about sharing it, liking, subscribe, comment, join to support the series. I really appreciate your support and your enthusiasm for seeking sustainability wherever you live. And I really hope that this talk show series can give you new ideas, new insights about innovation and different topics which are connected in some way to creating a better quality of life for people, better quality of environment, and getting enough income and still supporting the economy. I always appreciate the comments and questions so if you have anything to say make sure you write it below. I'd love to hear from you. Have a great day. Take care.